We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed youth development is necessary but youth development is not sexy i don't watch the epl to watch young players develop that happens elsewhere and that's not the product i've been sold mls has to offer an entertaining competitive and attractive alternative and the truth is young developing and unfinished domestic talent for the most part doesn't move the needle Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking youth development. Ooh. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment, where Mossy will be talking about Bielsa's outburst. We'll be answering your questions in our hashtag Ask Alexi segment, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what I would trade my soccer career for, and so much more on this podcast. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you this week? I am good after a long weekend of soccer and football. Yes, and football. That The, the football games, the American football games. Yep. I watched them all. I was basically live tweeting them uh, as, I, as I became informed about the different rules and all the narratives and the drama that unfolded. I actually enjoyed it. It was fun. It was fun to, to see all the different stuff that was going on. Did you watch the football games? I did. Are you ready for my first rant of the podcast? You already have one. All right. Lay it on me in the intro here. Okay. Listen, I rooted for Tom Brady early in his career because he went to Michigan. That's right. He's a Wolverine. Long ago, the Patriots' unlikability overrode the Brady-Michigan thing. And in the year 2019, it's completely unacceptable for any non-Patriots fan to root for the Patriots. It's like rooting for Bill Gates to win the lottery. And Michigan fans that do it, it's only because Michigan football gives you no satisfaction. So you're clinging to something that's like tangentially related to Michigan football that you can be proud of, but I, I don't like well, it. Well, this is nothing new. I have seen this this anti-Tom Brady sentiment out there. Do you think that this is more, if you had to put the percentage, is it more because he wins so much or is it more because he wins and the way that he looks, the way that he acts, you know, married to the model, all that different stuff? Does that play into it at all? Yeah. I mean, I don't have an issue with Brady himself. It's more that I hate the Patriots so much. Uh, that, <laughs> because they win? Uh, yes. Uh, in fact, uh, the very first podcast, I don't know if you remember, uh, we did 12 months ago, they were about to play the Eagles in the Super Bowl. And I said that I, if the Patriots played ISIS, I would root for ISIS. <laughs> That's true. And that That's was true. edited out of this pod because they, our producers <laughs> felt like, boy, very first pod, the first words out of your mouth are going to be an ISIS right. joke. 
Jeez. Now, over the last 12 months, I've established that that nothing I say is to be taken seriously. and Nobody cares about anything I say. That is so true. I think We've that, that I think that, that. joke is going to survive this this time around. All right. So is this going to is this going to happen? Are once again the Patriots going to be on top here? If you have to predict <sighs> it now, I know we're two weeks out. So real quick uh, prediction. Uh, yes, I think the Patriots win the Super Bowl. Oh, and you will just be in uh, more depression. Yes. Oh my goodness. I'm excited to uh, to watch this. I thought that uh, yes, it was a foul on the uh, the throw in the first game, and the fact that the uh, the offensive part of the football team doesn't get the opportunity to play offense is ridiculous to me. But I digress. I've been arguing about it all morning on uh, and all night on Twitter, so you can go check that out. But we have much more important things to talk about when it comes to uh, quote-unquote football. we got so much uh, in this podcast. Mossy, you ready to uh, light this candle? Yep. All right, let's get this thing started. As you know, each and every week we kick the pod off with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week, it goes a little something like this. Youth development is necessary. It is admirable. It is smart. But youth development is not sexy. It is not exciting. And I'll be honest, it's not particularly interesting to me. You can quote, play your kids and talk about a long-term plan. But as a customer, let me know when that plan comes together and then we'll talk. There are those who are interested in how the product is made. I just want the final product. We equate youth development with authentic soccer culture and an essential part of any structure of a club or a league. But at the highest levels, you're being sold and you expect the finished product, or at least closer to it. Take the EPL, for example. This is a league that strategically cultivated a global audience by spending lots of money to populate the league with the best domestic and mostly imported talent. I don't watch the EPL to watch young players develop. That happens elsewhere, and that's not the product I've been sold. If I want that, there are leagues that provide that, like the Dutch Eredivisie. Now, MLS is in a strange position. While MLS aspires to be an elite global league, it's not one yet. And while MLS wants to champion its youth development, it doesn't want to pigeonhole itself as a development league. But in the competition for American soccer hearts and minds and the inevitable compare and contrast with leagues around the world, MLS has to offer an entertaining, competitive, and attractive alternative. And the truth is, young, developing, and unfinished domestic talent, for the most part, doesn't move the needle. Because most people, like me, don't tune in for the future. We tune in for the now. All right, Mossy, there's my State of the Union for this week. We've talked about this before. What are your thoughts in general on youth development? Does it excite you as it does some out there? Well, I think in Europe, because of the financial inequities and how top-heavy and predictable things have become, people try to find a reason to care about these other teams. And certain clubs have uh, carved out this niche as great unearthers of young talent, either because they have a strong youth system or very good scouts. And that makes them interesting to people. And I get into that stuff. But I understand the counter-argument. In the aftermath of the Pulisic deal, there were all these stories about how Dortmund are the smartest club in the world. And look at the way they're able to sign these young players like Dembele and Sancho and Pulisic for very little money and then sell them for astronomical fees and make this incredible profit. But then there were people bristling at that and saying, yeah, but Bayern have won the league the last six years. And you could extrapolate that to the Bundesliga and the Premier League uh, because of the financial 
financial muscle of the Premier League, the Bundesliga has reinvented itself as this breeding ground for young stars. And if you read that Miguel Delaney piece, they're clearly very proud of the fact that their clubs are better at scouting and identifying young talent. But if once those players become stars, they go to England and the Premier League is the better, more popular league, then it is fair to wonder, you know, so what? I mean... Yeah, and and when I talk about young players, it's not that I can't appreciate and value watching young players. And I know you're not getting the the, the complete finished product all the time. Even Mbappe, who right now, regardless of age, would be considered one of the great players in the world, one of the best players in the world. He's still young, and we still know, well, we we think, we hope, uh, we believe that given his trajectory already, that he's only going to get better as we go forward. But this belief that you can sell a youth movement that is a three, five-year plan to a consumer out there uh, and to a customer out there, in particular, a an American soccer consumer out there that is doing that, as I said, that compare and contrast with, with everybody, I think that's really, really hard. You look in Major League Soccer, for example, FC Dallas has tried to do to do that. And maybe it's different in different markets. Uh, and maybe FC Dallas, they just, you know, they, they will gravitate to something like that but you try to sell that i mean look the galaxy tried to do that a couple uh a couple years ago coach got fired they didn't win any games on the field and they very quickly pivoted from that and went and signed one of the great players in uh in soccer history in zlatan ibrahimovic do you when you see a young player out there not not an mbappe type but a young player who is getting their first minutes that is evolving does that excite you maybe the one player out there is 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 unfair to ask but if there's a multiple generation kind of out there that they're building for the future do you want to watch that five year plan my my father uh, and as you know i take all my cues from my father he always says that uh, the most exciting part of a player's career to him is the beginning when you're seeing him do things for the first time and, and it's new and fresh. Like if he had a choice right now between watching Neymar play or Vinicius Jr., he would rather watch Vinicius Jr. And he's kind of influenced me in that way. I have to say, I, I do enjoy when a new player bursts on the scene and seeing him for the first time. And I actually am oftentimes more fascinated by that than the finished product when he's already an established because player. Because you're extrapolating the, it out in your head as yeah, to this is where he is There's something exciting now. about potential. But you're also... <laughs> There's a, there's a certain, uh, it's uh, for lack of a better word, a snobbery associated to an elitism <laughs> that you're getting in early and you're going to be the one that's telling everybody, yeah, well, I saw him when and I knew at that point and I saw him do all those things, right? Yeah, there's probably something to that. Ah, now, come on. Now, I think if you're talking about your own country, then it brings in the whole national team component. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the hand-wringing about the lack of youth development in the Premier League, it doesn't come from people like you or I. It comes from English people in the context of talking about the national team and their past failures in major tournaments. And the U.S. in the wake of failing to qualify for the World Cup, that's become a big topic here that perhaps the national team could benefit from MLS giving more chances to young players. If that were the case, let's say it would make the overall quality and entertainment level of MLS worse, but it would benefit the national team if young American players were getting more playing time in MLS. Would you make no. that trade-off? No. no. And that's 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 an important point to make. Whether it's MLS or EPL, for, the, for, for that matter, it's interesting because while few people would compare the two, they are going through something very similar right now where there is a an influx when it comes to MLS, and we already seen the incredible migration when it came to the EPL, and you have teams that have very few, if any, actual English players, and certainly very few that have come through systems in England. MLS is the same way with the targeted allocation money and the way the rules are designed right now to to encourage, I won't say force, but encourage teams to go out there, and they're doing it, and they're bringing in for, uh, foreign talent right now. The only way that you fix that 
is by mandating time. And that, to me, would mean that you are putting players on the field that potentially aren't as good. Now, there's there's another side of it that say, yes, you're actually giving players that, while they may not per- be perceived as good, they are as good. I don't want to do anything that's going to damage the quality of, of the product that I have been sold. I I I don't watch. If, if, for, if all of a sudden the EPL decided that they were going to mandate that X amount of players needed to play and be on the field each and every game. That's not what I signed up for. That's not, that doesn't, first off, it doesn't excite me. Second off, it's not what I signed up for in watching the Premier League. The Premier League right now is built, has built themselves on bringing the most and the best talent. And as I said before, the majority of that, the great, great majority of that is imported talent. And that's what I expect. And MLS right now, whether they want to admit it or not, that's what they are doing. I have no problem with that. I, I've always said that if you want to have a, a, a team in MLS with all players uh, that are in, that's imported talent, go for it. Have at it. If that's what you believe is best for your uh, for your market and for your team, then uh, then have at it. So I don't want that type of mandating to happen. Now, from a from a national team perspective, you would want that to, you would want that to happen. I I just I it, it it would rub me the wrong way to have that because then you're also gifting minutes to players that aren't necessarily worth it. I know there's a long-term play in it, but once again, if you are asking me to buy a ticket to watch this, watch this game and therefore to utilize your, uh, uh, your product that you are selling me, I want to make sure that it's not being diluted because of some rule out there. And there's an argument, I suppose, that uh, Americans can make, and increasingly the English too, that Germany's doing the work for us of developing these young players. But yeah, if there's somebody that cares about keeping that young American talent here, it's tough because when you're fighting an uphill battle in terms of money and prestige, the one thing you could perhaps offer is playing time, and, and everybody wants to play, so that would compel a player to take the quote-unquote less prestigious option, but MLS can't even offer that in relation to the Bundesliga. So if you're an 18-year-old American, you think, I can go to Germany, play in a more prestigious league, yep. make more money, and I'm more likely to see the field there than here, then, then there's no decision at I, all. I wrote something about that the other day. I, I haven't uh, you know, had said it publicly or anything like that, but I was writing about it, and I started out, and the first line was, MLS has a problem. And then I thought... Well, does MLS really have a problem? And the same could be, could be applied to the EPL. Does, does the Premier League really have a problem? This is something they have manufactured. This is something they could change if they wanted to, but they've elected not because it's not what they believe is best for their business. So the way they would look at it, it isn't a problem. However, and in particular when it comes to the U.S., and we've talked about this before, the relationship between the United States men's national team and the U.S. Soccer Federation and MLS we know is one that is very cozy. At times, people are critical because of how cozy it is. If I was U.S. soccer right now, I would really be looking at that relationship saying, why are we so cozy? Why are we helping you and why are we in such a great partnership when you're not, you're not only not doing what we need to have our national team improve, but you're actually working against us at times. That's, you know, that's, that I think is a problem maybe more so for USSF, United States Soccer Federation, and for Greg Berhalter and for Ernie Stewart at this point that they're going to have to solve than it is for MLS. MLS has made their bed. They have said this is what they want to do. And look, MLS will talk about development and MLS will talk about the great partnership. But the fact is that the amount of minutes for U.S. men's national team eligible players has continued to go down. And th- so therefore the opportunities are down. And so then it's logical that it's going to hurt the men's national team or, as you said, more and more players are 
are going to find that route to, to go over to Germany. When it, when, when, I, I guess my, my State of the Union had a bunch of different ideas in it. I guess when it comes down to you have no problem and enjoy talking about youth development. Uh, just in the general context, you know, what you're doing, the vertical integration in clubs, what type of uh, youth coaching is going on, how they're coaching and all that kind of stuff. That interests you to talk about? Yes. Ugh, why? Just because it's a in the weeds type of inside baseball <laughs> type of thing that, that you just get off on or what? Absolutely. You know, oh, my God. Really? By the way, my last comment on any of this, just to circle back to Dortmund, they might have undersold Dembele. I don't know if anybody watched the Barcelona game this weekend, <laughs> but before he got hurt, that was the best 60 minutes I've seen from a player in a very long time. I'm not even sure Mbappe is the best young French player anywhere, and I'm the guy that called him the next Pele. But. Oh, don't you worry. <laughs> Mbappe's, uh, Mbappe's just going to be, uh, he's gonna be uh, just fine. All right. Well, listen, if you see me on the street uh, or in the bar or in the uh, airport or anywhere else and you want to talk about soccer, we can talk about soccer. I have no problem. But I do not want to talk about youth development with you. However, if you see Mossy anywhere, sit down and talk about the intricacies. As a matter of fact, sit him down and talk about him for as many hours as you possibly can. Give him his fill of uh, the way the youth system is set up and the vertical integration with the first team and the next great thing that's coming through and the five to 10 year plan that they have. And when it really comes to fruition, then you're going to see the fruits of all of our labors and all the. By the way, when it comes to youth development, we all know that they're just waiting for that one player. I actually talked to, and I'm not going to say who it is, but I talked to some teams when I was uh, over the uh, last break, or my, over my last trip, some MLS teams that actually had the question, is it better for us? We're spending all of this money on youth development and we're seeing very little in return. And that's, that applies pretty much across the board. You know, you have your golden generations and even La Masia and all that kind of stuff. If you really look at it, there are golden generations. So is it really what they're doing? Or is it really just the soccer gods saying, ah, this is a good decade. We're going to give you five really, really good players. But I, I talked to some teams and they said, why are we doing this? Why don't we just use the money that we're spending? And they're spending a lot of money because they've been told that's what they need. Why don't we use that money and actually go out and buy players that we know we're hedging our bets with because we're getting something in return. And uh, it's much more secure in terms of the money that we're doing. I don't think they're going to do this for a number of reasons. I don't think, first off, they're absolutely convinced that it's not the right thing to do from a strategic perspective. And two, from an optics perspective, not having an academy right now immediately signifies to your market and therefore to your customers that you're not serious. But the economics of youth development, whoo-wee, unless you have that one player, and that's what you're hoping for, that one player that either is going, you're going to sell him on for a ridiculous amount of money that's then, then, that then is going to fund and recoup all of those losses that you've had, or that one player that is going to become that star that's going to sell jerseys and going to sell tickets and is going to lead you to the promised land on the field. That's, that's the equation here. But there's a lot of teams right now that look at it and say, we are spending a lot of money and we're getting very, very in, in, uh, in return. All right. Uh, hit us up out there if you agree or disagree with, uh, with my State of the Union as, a regard, as regards to how unsexy and uninteresting youth development is. All right, moving on. Hello, people. It's Alexi here. More of the State of the Union is on the way. But first, I want to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out, Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from the Bundesliga, international friendlies, and more, all on your favorite devices. And the best part? It's all ad-free, and you can cancel it any time. So check out FoxSoccerMatchPass.com and get started with a free seven-day trial today. Now, back to the show. 
Mossy Makes the Case. All right, it's that time again. Mossy Makes the Case. Uh, David, what do you have for the folks this week? My case is that Marcelo Bielsa, not Pep Guardiola, is the anti-Jose Mourinho. <sighs> wow. I don't know how we're ever going to explain Marcelo Bielsa to future generations. <laughs> Here's a man who got caught, quote-unquote, cheating by sending a Leeds United employee to spy on Derby County. Now, we can debate whether that should be a big deal or not, but in England it is. And if you're going to work in a country, you have to adapt to their culture to some degree. So how does Bielsa respond? Yes, I did it. But for anybody that thinks I actually needed this to prepare for the game, I'm going to call a press conference and deliver a one-hour dissertation on scouting, which is going to blow everybody's mind to the point where I'm going to come out of this whole thing with my legend enhanced. And that's par for the course with Bielsa. The facts of his career are not that kind in terms of what he's actually won, how long he's lasted in each place, and the circumstances in which he's left. And yet so many people around the world worship this guy, including myself. I'm a Bielsa groupie. I don't think there's ever been a manager in the history of the game whose level of prestige is so disproportionate to what he's actually won. Pep Guardiola is considered a romantic, but he's actually won a lot of things, so it makes it easier to explain the reverence towards him. With Bielsa, it's all about the way his teams play, the influence he's had on other managers, and this image he's cultivated as this Vincent van Gogh-like torture genius. And I thought it was fascinating because the day after the Bielsa press conference, Jose Mourinho gave a lengthy interview on BN in which he doubled down on his belief that it's all about results and trophies. And anything else people want to talk about as far as style of play is all just frabba-jabba. And the only managers that are going to be remembered are the ones that won the most trophies. Now, most people interpreted that as a shot at Klopp or Pochettino, and it may have been. But the manager who's actually the antithesis of Jose Mourinho is Marcelo Bielsa. To me, they're polar opposites in the pragmatist versus romantics debate. I completely disagree with you. As a matter of fact, I believe that Jose Mourinho is so much more closer to Bielsa than, than, uh, than you even understand. And that's because of this. When you were just talking about Jose Mourinho, why and how did you hear him talk about this? It was uh, on BN. He's doing punditry work. Yeah, you're Asian. damn right he is. And each and every day, there was a constant flow of what he was saying. Because they are both performers. <laughs> they both recognize the stage. They perform in different ways. They approach their craft of performance and entertainment in different ways. But they both recognize the stage that they have, the microphone that they have. And they both use it to portray the character that they are playing and in to, to great effect. That you like Bielsa so much more than you like Jose Mourinho is irrelevant because you're going to watch both of them because they give such great performances, okay? They are the hero and the villain. The romantic notion of Bielsa, you're, you're absolutely right in that he gets the benefit of the doubt, more so probably than anybody. But the reason why he gets the benefit of the doubt is because of doing something like he did the other day. That incredible performance. And it, all it was a performance. You know what I loved about it, though? It, it hit upon something that, and this is where his real truth shone through, and I, and I really respect and love that he said it. It hit upon this, this part of soccer that doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, and this is not to dump on coaches. Coaches, managers, are extremely important. And after you hear what I'm saying, I'm going to tell you why they're maybe even more so uh, important. But this, I, I'm not a fatalist when it comes to uh, the game of soccer. However, the arbitrary nature of the game, more so than I believe any other sport, makes it, it's not impossible, but so much more difficult for coaches to 
consistently and more importantly, successfully have an impact out there. And the way that he talked about how so much of his job isn't done to necessarily change what's going to happen. It's done for him. It's done out of necessity to make, to, to justify and validate his existence. And what he wouldn't say is validate the paycheck and validate the attention and the gravitas that one gets from outside. Because more so than any other sport, that whistle blows and that person, he or she on the sideline, has minimal ability to affect the game. Yes, they can make substitutions. And yes, they can, uh, they're the ones that put out the lineup and put out the 11 and stuff like that. But other than that, I mean, we were talking earlier about the American football game and the, and the ability that a coach has to affect change in that game is mind-boggling. <laughs> and to the, to the extent that, it's, that uh, when you compare it to soccer, it's, it's a whole nother world. But I loved what happened uh, in that press conference because it, it gave us a glimpse into what the reality is for a lot of these coaches that we put up on, uh, on a pedestal. That I actually 100% agree with. This guy Tostão was this legendary Brazilian player who's now an analyst. He talks about this all the time, that people think that every game is decided because this manager got it right and this one got it wrong, and they try to trace everything that happens back to something the manager did, when in reality, so many games are decided by like random, isolated yep. things that you couldn't have possibly predicted. So yeah, I mean, that that point I, I 100% agree with. It's funny with, with Bielsa, though. Like People used to talk about in the 90s how anything Michael Jordan did could be spun as part of the narrative about how much he wants to win. Like, he could murder the star player on the opposing mm -hmm. team, and people would say, boy, that just shows you how much that guy <laughs> wants to win. And He's with, competitive. With Bielsa, too, anything he does can be spun as part of this narr narrative about what an eccentric genius outside the box thing. He could decide to play a game with eight players, and people would say, wow, who else but Bielsa would come up with that? Can, can you just give a quick Twitter 280 character type of synopsis of Bielsa for anybody out there that doesn't necessarily have a full uh, terms of his of career? we're talking about? Just, to, just, just in general, if you had to explain to somebody yeah, on a on he, a plane, a, a beautiful woman you're sitting next to, and asked you, who is this Bielsa you speak of? Again, he's this he's this Argentinian manager whose nickname El Loco, which means crazy man, who his uh, his his teams play this sort of high energy pressing, very attack minded style that, that people find exciting to watch, and and he's had this incredible influence on all sorts of managers over the years. He 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 burst on the scene in the early '90s with Newell's Old Boys, won a couple of league titles, and he had on his team Tata Martino, uh, Mauricio Pochettino, and, and Eduardo Berizzo, who all went on to become successful managers. Pep, uh, when he went into management, there's a he, tree. There's he a reached tree. out to yeah. Bielsa and spent a lot of time with him. And he said he's been, but, but other than Cruyff, Bielsa is the other guy that he 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 credits as his biggest influence. Jorge Sampaoli's been influenced by him. So that's sort of where his legacy comes from. It's not, you know, I mentioned the two league titles with Newell's. He also won one in the late '90s with Vélez Sarsfield. And then the only other thing he's ever won is the Olympic gold medal with Argentina in 2004. That's his only trophy this century. And yet. Pep Guardiola gives interviews where he says with a straight face, I think Bielsa is the best manager in the world. Is that to you like the most preposterously hipster thing you could possibly hear that a manager with that resume is? It's very hipster, but I think what, <laughs> the, I think what they see in him when they say that is, to get back to your point, yes, he is, he, he's a representation of something that they, while they may aspire to it, they recognize they can never be. That, romantic, that, that romantic notion of, I'm going to do things that haven't been done before, and 
you know, the uh, the tin cup where he's just hitting ball after ball after ball, and there's a beauty in it despite the fact that he's going down in flames. It's interesting, too, because in the interview Mourinho gave, and by the way, shame on Bian for giving him this platform to spew his propaganda. John T. Whitehead uh, should be ashamed of himself. <laughs> but uh, uh, he, he, it's funny how he recruited Pep to his side in the whole pragmatist versus romantic. He said, you know, people make a big deal about all these managers because they play beautiful football, but it's the guys that win all the trophies like myself and Pep and Ancelotti that should be most celebrated. And the funny thing is, I think the romantics have just as much a claim on Pep. And I think Pep would rather be admired by those kinds of people than the people that would admire Jose Mourinho. In fact, if you ask Pep, bottom line, who do you respect more as a manager, Bielsa or Mourinho? I think he would say Bielsa in a second. So it was funny to see Mourinho kind of recruit Pep to his side. But once again, you are you are once again <laughs> uh, being that elitist, snobbish <laughs> type of person that because you are defining something as romantic when we know that the a, a romantic style of play is subjective. And while 100 <laughs> passes down the other end, everybody's going to say, oh, that's so romantic. A long ball up to a big man on the top who flicks it on perfectly to an on-running uh, uh, route one coast-to-coast uh, in, in 10 seconds type of finish, nobody's going to look at that as romantic? I mean, that's that, romance is what you believe it is. But you believe that a romantic game is the, is the game that Bielsa plays. Yeah, although, by the way, the more you read about it, and we'll get into this in upcoming weeks, the guy that Mourinho really has a big complex about is Klopp. He thinks he's an absolute fraud and doesn't understand why everybody loves Klopp so much. But there, some of the stories that came out in the last few days have been amazing. Like, there was some uh, Premier League corporate event in 2016 that Mourinho attended where, like, they the guy gave a speech just sort of touting how the Premier League has the best managers in the world and rattled off Pep and Mourinho and Conti and Klopp. And Mourinho made a big point of going again and says, take Klopp out of that speech. He doesn't belong mentioned in that class so but but uh we'll end on this this will be my ask alexi for okay. this week a little bonus ask wow, alexi all this right week. beautiful uh if you had a choice between one of these men coaching the u.s national team okay. jose Mourinho or marcelo bielsa jose Mourinho, because i believe that whatever romance you <laughs> attach to this man okay would be lost and when i say lost it doesn't mean that people wouldn't understand it i believe that most, including maybe the one that's talking right now, would say that's all fine and well. But we, and I say we as a nation, we will get more and therefore the sport will progress and evolve faster and, and better, I guess is the word, by winning than by playing well. And that's just, that's just who we are and where we are in this uh, in this moment, so yes, I would uh, because there would be a pragmatism, and we would get the most best of both worlds because I'm still getting that entertainer and that performer, okay, in the same way that uh, Bielsa is that entertainer and performer, but I'm also getting the recognition that ultimately, I think America right now wants to win. They don't care how we win. They just want to win. All right, anything else, Mossy, about Bielsa? I'm sure there'll be more about him uh, going forward, and I'm sure you'll have more odes to Bielsa and love letters uh, when it comes to uh, the pot. Anything? Nope. All right, moving on. Hello, people. It's Alexi Lalas. You know, we appreciate you listening to the State of the Union podcast, but if you enjoy our show and you want to know more about the sports gambling world, well, you should take a minute to check out another show we do here on Fox Sports, the Coming Up Winners podcast hosted by Jason McIntyre. 
Coming up, Winners dives deep into analytical trends that could become major influences in sports gambling. Jason McIntyre and company tackle all the biggest games on the board and break down the NFL, NBA, college football, and college basketball. So subscribe now for weekly episodes every Monday and Thursday afternoon, available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the show. Ask Alexi. All right, it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi, and uh, we will pick out some of your questions, comments, and concerns as we are about to do right now. Mossy, what do the people want to know? First up, at as one underscore United, who would you say is the best player in the Bundesliga this season? Ooh, interesting, interesting. So as we know, we've just turned the corner here for the Bundesliga, and so people like Sebastian Haller. Haller! Torgan Hazard are going to come up. Axel Witzel, I think, has, has been a wonderful signing for Borussia Dortmund. Some lesser knowns. Let's see here. Oh, uh, there was the left back. Jerome Rousselon. It's, it's a hard to pronounce, but he's really, really good uh, outside back. Another way you go. Another one of your uh, Frenchmen who I think are going to continue to get bigger and better. So I think you'd probably... Mm, Roish. I think right now you'd, it, it's... What, he's got 11 goals or something like that? 11 uh, goals has uh, been incredible form for the team sitting on top of the league right now. You got one? I would say Marco Royce, which made it all the more impressive that they won without him this past weekend. I'm going to use this question as a jumping off point for a quick little Bundesliga weekend review. That was was fun, huh? That was a big time win by Dortmund because we were all thinking it. Bayern brush aside Hoffenheim on Friday. It's down to three. That Dortmund lineup comes out. No Royce. Alcacer on the bench. Uh, makeshift back line with Weigel starting at center back, and you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. And yet they gave a very professional performance. They controlled most of that game, uh, and they win 1-0 on a Witzel goal that you mentioned. So uh, that was good to see. I mean, I'd still push comes to serve. I'd still pick Bayern to win the league, but Dortmund, I think, showed that they're not going to go away, that it's going to be an incredible race. And you see Bayern right now, after every game, they come out and one or two individuals says, hey, we're coming for you. We're we're close. Niko Kovac talking about it. So they're just waiting for him to slip up. And Pulisic came on for the last 15 minutes. I thought played very well. Yep. Uh, created a couple of chances, one where he drilled past a couple of guys and rolled it for Sancho, who couldn't get a shot off. And then another give-and-go with Hakimi, who then crossed it for Alcacer, who hit the underside of the, the crossbar there, and it <laughs> bounced off the line. So very Tyler Adams was on the 18, did not get on the yeah, field, yeah. but uh, certainly already a part of that, uh, of that team. Next up, at Dan Henderlong1, what do you think of splitting MLS into four conferences slash divisions, especially after 2020? Is the league actually <laughs> thinking about solutions like this for the travel distance problems in MLS? Uh, well, what's the travel distance problems in that it, it costs so much? I don't think that that's necessary. I mean, look, there, there is a cost involved, um, but I don't think that they are looking at it as a problem that they have to solve relative to the, the, the travel distance. I just think that the size of the league continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger. You're going to have 28 teams before you know it, uh, and then you're going to go into the 30s. And as you get into the 30s, that's, that's going to be hard to, uh, to organize. And so having these different conferences is definitely something I think they, uh, that they are going to do. MLS, we know from day one, has really loved to champion and talk about the importance of rivalries and so you know for example Austin coming in a couple years you're going to have three Florida teams I think if there is a separation and a a conference divisional type of thing as we get into the 28s and into the 30s uh, amount of teams I think it's going to be much more so in terms of encouraging those regional rivalries that we have as opposed to uh, splitting it up uh, in order to compensate for uh, or mitigate some of the, the 
the travel distance costs, I guess, uh, I guess it would be. But yeah, they're going to have to do, they're going to have to do something as it gets bigger and bigger. And it's only going to get bigger and bigger. I don't think they're stopping even after 28. Next up, at Juan de Noches, would you trade your soccer career for an equally long NHL career? Mm. Juan, that's a good question. So I grew up, uh, for people that don't know, I grew up in Michigan. I grew up in Detroit, and uh, as people uh, know, there it's the law that you have to play hockey. I played, at times, even more hockey than soccer growing up. I did the whole growing up and, and started playing hockey on the lake, uh, learned how to skate in the backyard where we flooded the driveway and all that kind of stuff. So uh, hockey was as important and at times even more important to me because of where I was growing up. However, that's a long way of saying, while I love hockey and uh, would have loved to have lived a life as a professional hockey player, I would not trade it because the wonderful thing about soccer and one thing that I think pulls a lot of people to it is the international aspect of it. And when I was out on my sidewalk in front of my house juggling my ball as a 10-year-old kid in Detroit, suburban Detroit, I knew and I, and I loved the fact that on the other side of the world, there was a 10-year-old doing the exact same thing. And there's not a lot of things out there in life that you can, especially when it comes to, to sports, where that applies. And I loved the fact that there was this international aspect to it. And that international aspect was reflected in everything, not just the fact that everybody plays the game of soccer, but the game of soccer took me all over the world. That's not to say that hockey couldn't have, but not to the extent that soccer has. The experiences that I had being a professional soccer player were so different and unique relative to other athletes and other professional athletes in other sports that I wouldn't trade that for the world. Learning different languages, living in different countries, experiencing countries through the lens of, uh, of soccer. That was incredibly valuable, educational, fascinating, exhilarating in a way that I don't think hockey could have, uh, could have given me. The other part is that I gravitated to soccer, even though I was playing hockey, I played hockey all the way through college, even though I, I played hockey and, and still loved hockey, I gravitated to the people around soccer. And for whatever reason, it just, I, I got along with them better, I guess better, I don't know if that's the right word, but I just, I really enjoyed the people that were involved. Everyone from the coaches to the parents to the administrators, everything about soccer just screamed to me, this is something different and unique and cool. And I really liked that aspect of it. So Juan, I appreciate your question. Uh, it would have been interesting to see not just the type of hockey player that I was. That can, that can be whatever, and that sometimes is left up to the, well, in this case it would be the hockey gods, but the type of person that I would have been. I think I would have been a very different person had I been a professional hockey player, even a very good professional hockey player. Um, I think soccer in that way changed me as a person and I think changed me for the better. That's it. That's it. All right. Thanks for your questions. Once again, use that hashtag Ask Alexi uh, and Mossy will read out a question on future episodes of the State of the Union podcast. All right, moving on. The back three. All right. It's time for our back three. Some of the biggest stories, games, moments out there. Mossy, what do we got? 
All right, first up, uh, Timothy Wei went on loan to Celtic from PSG. We were actually going to talk about this last week, and then our producer, Alex Dowd, said, why don't we hold off until he actually does something? And lo and behold, he scored on his Celtic debut this weekend in a Scottish FA Cup match, a rare inspired decision by Alex Dowd. Uh, you don't see those Blind squirrel often. found a nut, man. Yes. So now we can talk about him with him actually having done something for his new team. All right. So, yeah. Um, Timothy Wea, the uh, Timothy potential, Weah. potential. Uh, attacking player for the U.S. men's national yeah. team. One of the reasons why we are tracking this young man. Yeah, a couple things I'll say, and then I'll, I'll hand it off to you. Uh, I don't get things right that often, so when I do, I'm going to pat myself Definitely. on the back. Definitely, mine it. Last summer, Timothy Witt actually got a lot of playing time for PSG during the ICC and even uh, early on in the season. And U.S. fans were all like talking themselves into the fact that he was actually going to have a role to play on that team. And I pointed out on this podcast, it was only because Neymar and Bappe and Cavani were all unavailable. And once those guys came back and their season started for real, he was going to have no role and that he should consider a loan. And frankly, the Chupumoting signing should have been the handwriting on the wall for him. But he decided to stay, which, okay, I'm not going to kill him for, but he pretty much wasted a half season here where he didn't play at all for PSG. But now he goes on loan. I do think this is a good move for him. Celtic. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, and and it, it's going to be exciting him being part of that that Celtic Rangers rivalry, which is back now. Like I was kind of wondering which rivalry was going to come back first, Michigan Ohio State or Celtic Rangers, and it is Celtic Rangers thanks to Steven Gerrard. And it's interesting that all the Americans involved in this rivalry have come from the Rangers side of it. Guys like Claudio Reyna, Carlos Bocanegra, or uh, Demarcus Beasley, our Fox Sports colleague Maurice Adu, uh Eric Winalda's buddy Alejandro Bedoya. And it, it's cool to have uh, somebody on the Celtic side now. And their next league meeting, I believe, is in late March. So uh, we can look forward to having Timothy Way involved in, in that great rivalry now. So what, what are your overall thoughts on this? Okay, so who's at the top of uh, the Scottish standings here? Oh, it's uh, Celtic and Rangers. There's, there's a surprise for you. But they're tied right now, huh? Yeah. So he went to uh, where? Where did he go? Celtic. Celtic, coached yes. by our friend Brendan, Brendan Rogers. Rogers over there. Look, this is, I, I think this is good for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that he's playing. He got, I think he came in as a substitute in that game, got his goal, and, uh, and so that's, that's important because ultimately he is there to create goals and to score goals. I think that playing in this league, more, impo more importantly for this team, more often than not, he's going to be in a game that they have more talent than the opposition and that they are going to create more opportunities. So he's going to be in an environment, once again, almost like a PSG, although he can't get on the field for PSG. But when PSG plays in Ligue 1, that's the type of environment and that's the type of s soccer situation that he's in. So that's good. Uh, because I want him, <laughs> in a strange way, this is going to sound like a horrible criticism of the league, but I want him doing patterns to goal. <laughs> and for the most part, that's kind of what he's going to be doing here, except when they get up against Rangers. And, well, you know, Kilmarnock's right there at 41 points, if I see this correctly. So there's still uh, some possibilities uh, when it comes to uh, comes to competition. But this is a this is a good thing. But this is a this has to be a temporary thing. I don't I don't think this is something that can continue on. Uh, Neymar, you know, talking about him. That's all good. I think he will have left a relatively good impression with PSG, but does that mean they bring him back to the mothership? Uh, is he good enough for that type of thing? Is this just a go out there, get get some get some playing time when they're going to bring you back when you're more seasoned? I'm not sure that uh, his future has PS, uh, PSG in it. So, But from a U.S. men's national team perspective, great. He's playing, he's scoring, and I hope it continues. Uh, the Neymar quote, it is a very exciting move for Timothy. From what I've seen of his talent, he has everything to go on and become one of the top attacking players in Europe. Damn. Damn. All right. Well done. Moving on, U.S. women's national team. 
They had a yes. high-profile friendly this weekend against World Cup host France, and they got drilled. It ended up 3-1. Mallory Pugh got a late consolation goal, but, uh, I mean, the score doesn't do justice. Like, they got blown off the field. They did. They did. And so uh, we're a few months from the World Cup. Do, 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 do you hear alarms? Do you do, uh, is this is this a problem? Because the, the the general reaction was, well, we didn't have our full team. Uh, obviously, we're still uh, they were you know they took a couple months off. They haven't played a game, so all that kind of stuff. Uh, the great Michelle Akers, uh, I saw tweeted out, "How is this good? How are we allowing this to happen? We need to win every single game." With the fact that we are justifying this and and uh, making up excuses is uh, is ridiculous. I get what she's saying. I understand that, and that's actually. That she helped create that culture and foster that type of mentality when it comes to our women's team, where we expect them to win every single game. However, in this instance, it wasn't the full team. It was a situation where if you're going to get a wake-up call, if you're going to go through something like this, have it be now and not closer to the World Cup, and God forbid, uh, let's not have it be at the World Cup, and have it be against someone who you you recognize is going to be one of those teams that is trying to take this away from you as you try to defend uh, d- uh, defend your title. I, I didn't look at it. I wasn't that you know irritated or worried about this team. I still think that this is a great team. I still think it, it is theirs to lose. I still think, despite the fact that they, you know they're throwing on young and inexperienced players, you know Emily Fox or or these types of players who who struggled. That doesn't mean that come the summer you're you're not going to be okay. When I talk about depth, depth doesn't mean that you can just throw a whole nother eleven in there. No no team can do that. Depth means that if a piece goes down here or there, you can throw somebody in. You know, for example, the other day, you know, there's a there's a good chance that the U, this U.S. team is not going to start with Carly Lloyd. All right. The other day they didn't start with Carly Lloyd. Carly Lloyd came off the bench. She immediately made a difference when she came on uh, came on the field. That's the type of depth that I'm talking about. It's not it's not that you can take your best eleven, throw out half of them, and then start again. And there's and you're not going to miss a beat. That would be wonderful, but that's that's not necessarily the type of depth I'm talking about. And once again, I think we saw really illustrated the point that. Julie Ertz is the most important player for this team going forward in that midfield. And when she is not there, you might remember her from four years ago when she was called Julie Johnson. She was one of the uh, standout players as a center back. Now she has moved into a defensive type of midfield role, and she just bosses that midfield. And without this team, uh, without her on that field, they lose a tremendous player. And she wasn't on the field the other day. So I'm not going to lose any sleep about this result but I think it's actually, in a strange way, a good thing to get let them have this wake-up call right now, use it to their advantage uh, going forward. But I'll tell you what, on that day, uh, this summer, if and when they come up against France, France has improved even more so uh, over the last four years, and they are going to be licking their chops, especially on home soil. We'll end on this. Your former teammate, Tab Ramos, who is now the U.S. under-20 coach, gave an interesting interview in which he sort of bemoaned the fact that American players still don't get that respect, and he pointed to Alex Mendez as mm-hmm. somebody who, he's compared him to Raquel May recently, and he said, man, if, if this kid was Argentine, he'd be worth, you know, 20, 30 million, and instead, because he's American, he's not. Uh, what did you make of that quote? And, and you're, you're one of those guys that went to Europe and, and tried to sort of, you know, knock down those barriers. and, and, yeah, and I, I went to Europe off the World Cup, okay? That's where those bona fides that's where the credential came from 
uh, had I had I just been going to Europe as as anybody else, there's no way that I would have gone been able to go to Syria without the World Cup. Th- there there is no me going to Europe, uh, and certainly not in the way in the way that I did. But that th- I love the fact that Tab Tab came out and said what I believe is um, is the reality. Now it's soccer isn't fair and life isn't fair. We all we all understand that, and your your nationality at times, your background, your, uh, your, your lineage. It can be a, a million uh, different things. You use what you have to your advantage. And the, the fact that, that a, a young Argentinian player who is a, let's call him a six, okay, and a young American player who's not a six in the position, just a six out of 10 in terms of the ability, right? And a young American player who, let's say, is the exact same type of player in terms of being a six out of 10 as, as in terms of how good that player is. Because he's Argentinian, he's going to go to a seven or he's going to go to an eight. That's the way that it has been for a long time. And that's because of a longstanding tradition and a history of producing great talent. That's Perception versus reality, and that's that applies to a lot of the different things uh, th- things in life. But I love that that Tab says it publicly because he has a platform to do so, and I love that in doing so he supports his players that he believes in. Tab just doesn't. I know Tab, and I've known him for a long time. He doesn't just say it just to say it. This isn't a Bielsa esque type of thing, there, Masi. This is Tab saying what he truly believes, seeing these players, juxtaposing them with the talent that's uh, that's out there, and the reality is, I always I always had this uh, this this fantasy of creating a uh, uh, writing a story or having a movie where you take a young American player and at a very young uh, younger age, not completely young, but a young youth player, and you take him and put put him over in Argentina or something like that, and then just see how the perception of him changes. He might be the exact same player, but how the scouts look at him, how the teams look at him, how the fans look at him, all that, and then do that reveal and say, hey, guess what? This kid's actually from uh, the suburbs of Detroit or the suburbs of Wichita or something like that, because that's that's oftentimes what what happens in assessing talent, but. What can happen now for Tab Ramos and for his players is once you get to that international level, you get to these youth World Cups and obviously you get to regular World Cups, that's the great equalizer. You see somebody do it at that level, and it doesn't matter where they're from, doesn't matter what their baggage is, you will get the credit. And it's a much more level playing field, and therefore the perception much better matches the reality when you see somebody do it on the uh, on the big stage. So I love that Tab Ramos said that, and I completely agree with him. doesn't apply to everybody, but it certainly applies to a lot of players who are undervalued simply from the fact that they are from America. And it's funny, last week we talked about uh, who might be the players that could fill that Pulisic void as the marquee Americans in the Bundesliga. And I and I immediately said Sargent, and actually I was kicking myself driving home because I also wanted to mention Mendes because he's a player that really impressed me in the CONCACAF Under-20 Championship, and he's at Freiburg now. And yeah, I think he could be terrific in the Bundesliga as well. Well, I mean, he's terrific regardless. I mean, he's just a, he's a good player. No, no, I'm saying the context was Americans in the Bundesliga, and with Pulisic leaving, who are the other guys that people are going to shift their focus to now and I think Mendez once he gets on the field will definitely be one of those guys that is in the Bundesliga Americans that we're going to be got it got well hey you know from your lips to the soccer god's ears uh okay anything else 
That is it. That is it. All right, that's our back three. So uh, we've come to our one big thing from today's podcast. Uh, as we talked about earlier, youth development, whatever whatever you want to call it. And I know maybe I didn't quite define it the way that I should uh when it comes to what youth development is and what it is. It, it has been something that we have talked about, something that we have at times embraced, at times uh, the consternation when it comes to what we are and maybe what we aren't in developing talent out there is something that we continue to assess. And certainly after the uh, horrible failure of 2017, there was this inward type of examination of who we are as a soccer culture. And a lot of that was focused and a lot of criticism was focused on uh, youth development and what it is, what it isn't, uh, what it should be. Uh, A lot of people like to talk about it. As I've (laughs) mentioned in this podcast, I don't. It's mind-numbing to me. But I want to make very, very clear at the end here that I do recognize a need for it. And I do have a tremendous amount of respect and admiration for the men and women who day in and day out take the time and have such incredible patience uh, and work so hard to give opportunities and to create the next soccer players out there. Because at times it is a thankless job. And it not at times, almost entirely, it's done in the shadows. You don't get the credit uh, that you deserve. And as we mentioned before, you are often judged on your success stories. And the success stories are few and far between. That's just the nature of development in that the elite and the highest level, there's only going to be a certain amount of players that actually arise to that. It doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done, and it certainly doesn't mean that me or anybody else should crap on the folks that are out there doing it. And I hope I'm very, very clear in saying that that's not what I'm doing. But when it comes to a customer of a product, I am a customer buying a product of soccer, uh, I wanna see as close to the finished product as possible. And it's very hard in this day and age in the United States where you are selling with such an incredibly educated and such an incredibly congested type of soccer culture in a good way in that we are, we are able to watch every single league out there on a daily and weekly basis. You got to be able to compete. And when you're asking people to pay money, It's a very difficult ask to get them to buy into a long-term plan. It's a very very difficult ask to get them to buy into a youth development project. I don't want to watch a project. I want to watch as close to a completed project as I possibly can. And I think there's a lot of people out there uh, who also do. But as I said before, if you do feel you need to talk about youth development, please find Mossy. And please talk to him as much as possible. Uh, Let us know how you feel about what we are doing here. We know we can still grow. We know we can still develop. Uh, We know uh, that it's important for us to evolve and to grow, just like any young soccer player, to get better and to be given opportunities. We are given opportunities each and every week. Thankfully, they don't lock us out. 
Mossy, as always, you are getting better and better each and every week, uh, and we're trying to uh, evolve as a show. If there's stuff that you want, if there's stuff that you like that you don't like, please let us know. Also, hit us up with that hashtag, Ask Alexi, with any questions, comments, and concerns out there. I'm going to speak for you when I say we enjoy doing this, uh, but we also recognize that we, <laughs> but we can that we can get better going forward. Anything to uh, to to uh, finish this off this week, Mossy, for the folks out there? Uh, no. Uh, that's it that is it all right listen uh, we will be back again next week with more talk of American soccer and uh, the American soccer culture and uh, we appreciate you tuning in each and every week and as always size the day